Hi, and welcome back to Spatulas and Speculations. I am your unofficial professor, Lily, or as you may more commonly know me as a happy hermit on TikTok and on Instagram, and this is SJM 101, and today is like, it is the 101 episode, or episodes, the next three episodes, um, official episodes, we'll talk about it later. Um, like this is study session this is like finals are coming we are prepping as a class this is the study guide um kind of thing so today i'm gonna throw out my spoiler warning first um if you have not finished reading house of sky and breath please save this podcast and come back to us when you're ready when you're done there are 20 days as of when this uh podcast episode comes out till house of flame and shadow you still have time to finish you don't have a lot of time to sp- to scream with us, um, you know, I, should I even, yeah, uh, I love a good cliffhanger, and I love to wait after a cliffhanger, because you get all the time to, like, fully absorb it in all of its entirety, which, I mean, if you haven't finished reading House of Sky and Breath, and I'm totally just ragging on you right now, I'm sorry, I don't mean it maliciously, I'm just talking about in my own experience, I've just loved this entire time, because it's given me the opportunity to, like, build what today's episode is, essentially, and I couldn't have done that in 21, 20 days. So, um, if you haven't finished reading Avatar, um, same, same goes, um, we're going to be doing Avatar spoilers, and obviously because everything that happens at the end of House of Sky and Breath, there's just going to be, like, throwing glass spoilers and talk, uh, you know, just spoilers in general, because to talk about one thing, you have to talk about the other kind of business. So, today's episode is the Avatar recap. So, maybe you... Uh, Maybe you don't have time to do the full reread. Maybe you reread a year ago. Maybe you're in the middle of your Throne of Glass reread, or maybe you're in the middle of your Crescent City reread, and you just don't have time to go back through Akatar. I'm I'm personally going through back, back through Akatar. Um, I started in December, and I'm um, just about to start Akawar. So like, I'm in the middle of my Akatar reread. So I'm not gonna. I don't think I'll have time to do a full Tog reread. I think I'm gonna at least try to bang out the audiobook for Koa um, before. House of Flame and Shadow comes out, but, like, even that, I'm just, like, I'm pr- trying to be really gentle with myself because I always get the winter blues, and I totally did in December, and so I just didn't get as much SJM reading done as I had originally planned on, but I did get a lot of reading done in general, so a win is a win, you know? A win is a win. Um, so maybe that's you, or, like I said, maybe you read it, like, six months ago, maybe you read it a year ago, and you just don't have time for that reread, or maybe you just want somebody else to, like, kind of point out where you should really quickly skim through skim read go back through and just freshen up your brain your brain this is a like a rejuvenation to the akatar series um and it's not the series in general like i'm not going to be talking about like akatar stuff i'm going to be talking about the things in akatar that pertain to the entirety of the sjm universe not necessarily um the minute parallels because i'm not going to really talk about reese's power i'm not really going to be talking about like you know the demetis like i'm not going to talk about that kind of stuff what i am going to talk about is just like this is a chapter where history is broken and like broken down into this is a chapter where something really big and suspicious happens this is a chapter where something that heavily pertains to the sjm universe happens so um this is just to get brains like oh yeah, I remember that now. Oh, that's important. Like, I should reread that really quick, um, just so it's, like, fresh in my brain for when House of Flame and Shadow comes out, because I don't know what's going to come in House of Flame and Shadow. So that's my one of my favorite second warnings, is I don't speak for Sarah, and I don't speak for Bloomsbury. These are my thoughts. These are my notes. This is on my best understanding, um, personally, and you might disagree with me. You have might have things to add to this list. I might forget things. I'm human, and I'm sorry if I miss them. Just, you know, take it all with a grain of salt. Um, the best work you can do is the work you you know do for yourself so um just you know keep that in mind (sighs) and it's so like that was something that I had to really like I had to like I am I had to step back from myself and be like Lillian do it as if somebody just wants the bare minimum and that's kind of what I did here um on the podcast we'll go a little bit deeper I have a few bonus things to like chip in here but if you just want to do all of the thoughts and work yourself um and just like a little bit of my guidance you can hop onto my instagram and the day that this podcast is posted there will be a like quick guide for you to buzz through and make your own notes or 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 whatever or if you don't want to take notes for the podcast and you just want to know which chapters i'm talking about all that's going to be listed on my instagram um so yeah this is very like bare minimum well 
deep bare minimum, medium minimum, medium minimum. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we're going to take it book by book, chapter by chapter. I'm not going to reread the entirety of the chapters, but I am going to, I have my books next to me. I'm going to open my books to where the chapters are, and I'm just going to point out what about this chapter I think you should be skim reading and just a tiny little um, explanation as to why. So let's get into it. And um, if it wasn't kind of clear enough, so today is going to be Akatar. Next week, we'll do Throne of Glass, the same method. And then the week after that, we'll do Crescent City. And the week after that, Ophas is out. Wild. Wild. Um, so let's jump into the first book in the Akatar series, Akatar, and let's just dive right into it and just kind of like hit the ground running. So the first chapter I think that you should skim read is Akatar 13. And that's because in this chapter, Feyre gets a glimpse at the creation of Perithian. She finds a mural depicting the history of the war. And also she sees just like what the cauldron is and all that stuff. And there's a reason why um, I picked this specific um, thing, and that's because the creation of Perithian, I think, is going to be heavily discussed. The history of Perithian, the mother, the gods, magic in general, and Feyre notes something really, um, what's the word? Just interesting to note. So, when I say, like, I think you should skim read the chapters, a lot of these are, con like, full chapters and full scenes, but, like, most of the time it's just, like, some, you know, really congested um, piece of information. And I can't just give page numbers because page numbers are different depending on, you know, different, um, you know, different books, different formats, you know, whatever. So I always just give chapters and it's kind of, you know, I do think you should just skim read the whole chapters because usually there's, like, context around the whole thing. But, yeah, so... She comes into the the library in the some spring court manner and she says that she sees the story of Perithian. And it began with a cauldron, a mighty black cauldron held by glowing slender female hands in a starry endless night. Those hands tipped it over, golden sparkling liquid pouring out over the lip. No, not sparkling, but effervescent with small symbols, perhaps of some ancient fairy language. Whatever was written there, whatever it was, the contents of the cauldron were dumped into the void below, pooling on the earth to form our world. The map spanned the entirety of our world, not just the land in which we stood, but also the seas and larger continent beyond. Each territory was marked and colored some intricate, ornate description depiction of beings who once ruled over the land that now belonged to humans. All of it, I remembered with a shudder, all of the world had once been theirs, at least as far as they believed, crafted for them by the bearer of the cauldron. There was no mention of humans, no sign of us here. And then she gets into the description of the war, which I also do find, you know, important, blah, 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 blah. But she goes on to talk um, about the courts, um, and she goes into a description of the courts, which I do think the courts are going to be more deeply, um, I think that in House of Flame and Shadow, we're going to get a lot of information, um, on the originality of Perithian, both before the courts and when the courts were formed, because this is a key time in the history with the crossing and with Finn and Thea and all of them, and, I think something, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more in Akamath, but, like, especially with the High Lords specifically and how they seem to be, like, other, um, like, there's, like, Fae, and then there's High Fae, and then there's High Lords. Like, there's, like, three different, like, classes in here, and I think that's something that's going to be important. So when Feyre goes into the discussion of the Spring Court, the Autumn Court, the two glowing courts, the southern one, a softer redder palette, the dawn court above a bright and yellow and blue, the day court, and above that, perched on the frozen mountainous spread of darkness and stars, the sprawling massive territory of the night court. Specifically, I think the solar courts are going to be the most important um, in those discussions because, you know, starborn, the night power, all of that stuff is going to be really important. But 
the autumn court's also going to be really important. I think Sarah even mentioned that in the live she had recently done, that we're going to get to know, like, some of the ties between the autumn court and, like, the autumn king. So I think that the description we get here of these courts is something that you should just, like, refresh in your brain on and just kind of, like, you know, hammer in that information um, so it's kind of second nature, which is what I had originally wanted this podcast to really be is, like, getting just information to be second nature to you so that when you read House of Flame and Shadow, when something gets revealed or when there's a tiny little piece of a puzzle, maybe even just, like, brush, like, it's just there but not, like, fully, like, a 10-paragraph explanation, you're going to be able to go, oh, that ties back to this. Like, I want it to be second nature for all of us, not, you know, for me and and for all of you guys because I do this podcast for you guys but I also do it for me as well. She goes on to talk about the heart of that beautiful living map. This is, um, so she goes on to say, at the center of the land, there, as if it were the core around which everything else had spread, or perhaps the place where the cauldron's liquid had first touch, was a small snowy mountain range, and from it rose a mammoth solitary peak, bald of snow, bald of life, as if the elements refused to touch it. There were no more clues about where what it might be, nothing to indicate its importance. I suppose that the viewers were already supposed to know it was not a mural for human eyes. She's talking about the middle here, and I think the middle is going to be one of those places that is important. Um, the middle, and we'll talk about it, it, it later again as well when it comes back up, but the middle is where... Um, like, wild magic still roams. It's a law unto itself. That's where the Ord is. That's where, like, so much is. And the mountain she's specifically talking about is one of the three sister peaks. I think those three sister peaks are going to be incredibly important. So, right here we have maybe, maybe, where the cauldron first touch, where everything else sort of gravitates towards. So could there be rifts there? Like, there's so much here that there could be that I think rejuvenating this information in your brain um, would be handy for you. The next chapter I think that you should peek back into in Akatar, and I don't know if it's going to be important. I think it is, just, you know, from vibes alone. Um, and we've talked about it briefly before, but in chapter 18 of Akatar, we get this um, starlight pond and I'm not gonna read I'm not gonna read it um but she says that it it or Tamlin says it is starlight and it's this magical pond where something that looks kind of like first light and described a lot like first light is just sitting in a hole in the ground um I don't like I said this this is this was one of those ones that's like well it could be important Sarah could just you know be like it's fairyland there's a starlight pond ha 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 anyways like that's totally fine and in her right it is a fairy thing to have but if she is going to go as deep as I feel like she probably will just rereading this little piece of information that we get on like the sparkling silver that was um you know glittering um it healed her. She felt like all of her aches and pains had went away while she was sitting in it. Um, I think she even says that it was like multiple different colors, like kind of shimmering. So I just think that that's kind of just an important little piece to just like skim back through and be like, oh yeah, I remember that Starlight Pond. Maybe they'll talk about it later. Maybe we'll talk, figure out where the um, Asteri siblings had um, accumulated their first light. Because remember, we've never seen how an Asteri eats, you know, in, in its raw form, like, the Asteri and Crescent City have set up this, you know, deep, um, uh, the Asteri and Crescent City have set up a, like, mechanical way of harvesting first light, storing first light, and keeping it, but we don't know what that's like without, you know, machinery and electricity and, and, like, ley lines, essentially, um, so we have no idea how the what we assume are the Daglin had eaten. Then the last, uh, the last, the next, um, chapter I think you should skim read is in chapter 21, which is the explanation of the great right. And the reason why I think that is because we get to learn about how magic is reju- re- rejuvenated in Perithian. 
And then we also get this little piece of information about the hunter and the maiden and the stag. So I the, the offering here. So I think that that could be something that is important. Remember, the maiden is one of the three bases of the goddess. It's kind of similar to the story that Lydia tells about, you know, the, the hunter chasing after the woman and, you know, blah, 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 blah. In a, in a vein, it's kind of similar. So I do think that this story could be important. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what I have to say on that. This one is just a bonus for the podcast listeners um, because it's just a tiny little thing that I want to mention. In chapter 33, when Feyre goes to rescue Tam from under the mountain, she says that not when the mural had painted the under the mountain to be the center of Perithian. It was weeks of travel away. And then Alice says that all dark and miserable re- lo- roads lead to the under the mountain. And then she says that there's an ancient shortcut that was once considered sacred, but no more. And Feyre ends up getting from point A to point B in, like, a day, maybe? Like, an hour? of Like, a few hours? So there seems to be, like, these, like, portally tunnels underground throughout Perithian that can cut time. And we have no idea where the quote-unquote access points that Rigelus was talking about at the end of Osab, that the missing daughter ended up cutting off the access points to their world for him. So they couldn't return. They couldn't get back. I don't know if it's going to be one of these, but when we, we're going to talk about it in Akasif as well, but like Eris says that like, there's stuff going on under the mountains, like, aren't you curious, like, all of the Autumn Court is under, underground, so I just think that this little tiny piece of information is just something good to just, like, choo-choo back in, back into your brain. Again, I, I don't want you guys to feel like you have to, like, prep or, or crunch time, like, everything that needs to be explained will be explained, I'm sure. Um, this is just for, like, if you want to have the, ah, okay, I understand what they're talking about kind of moment. Um, but if you want to just go for a long for the ride and you just want to have fun, just have fun. That's 100% your business. Also something to note as I pick up to the next chapter, um, is that the throne room that Amarantha has under the mountain was already there. She just decorated it, but like everything else was already there. So again, such a great question on Eris's part. What's under and what else is in the other two mountains? If that was already there, then what else is there? And why were those mountains considered sacred? I don't think that's ever actually even dis- explained or described what makes them sacred. Like, the mountains are sacred? Okay. The next um, chapter is actually the very, very end of chapter 45 and 46. And this is when Feyre um, dies and comes back and comes back. There's some really important information here, which we talked about fairly recently on this podcast, where I go into heavy detail about why I think this particular thing is important and could have bearing to the defeat of the Asiri, which is like um, the seeds of magic just in general. So she talks about how the High Lords are coming towards her and she feels a glittering spark fall upon her that flared and vanished when it touched her chest. Um, she gives a description of the other High Lords in here, which is important for lineage stuff. Um, they dropped kernels upon her. They bestowed her. Um, we learn that the Dawn Court High Lord has the brightest glow of them all, which I think is interesting. And then the Day Court is. The day court and the dawn court seem so closely knit, closely tied. That he says an inner light presented his similar gift. So, dawn and day being similar, kind of like, hmm, hmm. Especially because we've been talking about like what is the nuances of these star powers, where like the sun is a star, dawn star, the morning star, kind of thing. The night court has starlight. Like, there's all these like very like closely interwoven um star powers especially when you like throw in like tog and the healers and their star pure as day starlight powers that heal people and then like you have the death maidens who have the same exact power as the healers but they can do 
other things with their powers, like all of it's closely tied and closely knit together. We know that this is important because we get the same seed of light that Mala gives to Aelin. We learn that this light is very similar to first light, as in it, it grants power. They, you know, they see eat magic and then it also grants life so Feyre is then given you know immortality so like is that how the Asteri are immortal is because they're eating first light and they're like you know quote-unquote raw selves aren't immortal and then in 46 which is like just like the next page we see that Feyre is everything was black and warm and thick inky but bordered with gold very similar to the gold liquid that the cauldron was supposed to originally have, but then we always see the cauldron with dark liquid, which is suspicious. I was swimming, kicking up for the surface where Tamlin was waiting, where life was waiting, up, up, frantic for air. The golden light grew. The darkness became like sparkling wine. They drank the magic of the land like wine. Easier to swim through. The bottle, bubbles fizzing around me, those effervescent... Um, what she says about the cauldron, effervescent does mean like fizzy or bubbly. So it gleamed with a strange light and then she felt stronger and she became high fae. It could have been a drop. I personally, like I've said it before, I don't think the drop is is fae made. I think it's a steery made, but it, it does sound very similar. So we've never seen someone like settle really at all in Akatar or in any of the books like Aelin had a forced settling but like we didn't see that happening um and then we just see the drop so I'd be interested to see like what they have to say about if they have anything to say like when if they're talking about like the nuances of power and they talk about the settling and then Bryce is like oh we have this thing called the drop and everyone kind of looks at her weird and she's just like oh yeah we're forced close to burnout and if we don't do it right we could completely burn out and our brains could melt which is kind of similar to what Rowan says when it comes to burnout. And, like, she's, like, then we're, like, forced into immortality. And they're, like, that sounds really traumatic. And she's, like, yeah, it really is. And mine was extra traumatic because my dead friend helped me with it. And they're, like, you should go to therapy. And she's, like, yeah, probably, but so should you guys. And they're, like, yeah, fair enough, bet. Like, that's something I could see happening in the books. So that's all I have to say on the first Akatar book as for like these are things that I think are important and you should quickly reread or skim read or just kind of peruse the book and find because they could be important to the rest of the SJM universe. All right, moving on to Akamath. The first chapter I think you should in its entirety you should reread the entire thing um is chapter 16 of Akamath and this is when Feyre meets the inner circle and there's just I can't explain to you how important this chapter is, not just for, like, everything, but for Akatar in general, because just so much is packed in here. So much foreshadowing, so much history, so much um, explanation of powers, just everything. And so for this chapter specifically, we get an explanation of the Illyrians, and we get just, like, the first glimpse at Amryn and her otherness and I think that Amran is going to be one of those important things so like everything that has to do with Amran, I have specifically noted for these breakdowns because Sarah has mentioned she wants to tell Amran's story Amran comes from another world she came through a rift what better time to explain Amran's story than in the book where the crossover happens so so that's why I think Amran's important so read it for Amran. but I think specifically I want you guys to turn and look and really just like step out of the story mode that's kind of what these like skimming the chapter is is like step out of story mode and just focus on information just like like you are historians you are an archaeologist and you're digging through um an underground system and you're finding like these things like like you're you're a scientist you're a historian right now and i want you just like dive deep and just like fully focus on the information here Feyre notes the illyrian siphons and she said they say they're called siphons they concentrate and focus on our power in battle goes on to say the power of stronger Illyrians tends towards incinerate now, ask questions later. They have little magical gifts beyond that. The killing power. And then they go on to say the Illyrians bred the power for to give them an advantage in battle. Yes, the Scythians filter that raw power and allow Cassian and Azrael to transform it into something more subtle and varied. Into shields and weapons, arrows and spears. Imagine the difference between hurling a bucket of pain against a wall and using a brush. The siphons allow for the magic to be nimble, precise in the battlefield. When in its natural state, it lends itself towards something far messier and unrefined, and potentially dangerous when you're fighting in close quarters.
quarters or tight quarters, sorry. So I think that the Illyrians specifically are going to be something that is important to the history of Perithian and like the history of the Daglin and all that stuff. So just having like a little bit of background and just like rejuvenating. How many times am I going to say this? Stop repeating yourself, Lillian. Stop it. They know what's happening. You don't need to keep explaining to it. Um, I think the Illyrians are important. I personally think that the uh, prototypes to the angels were the Illyrians on Perithian that Rigelus talks about in 73 of Hosab. Um, but not only that, the siphons I think are important and that's because like, could they be witch mirrors? Could the Illyrians tie back to Throne of Glass witches with like their yieldling? Um, so yeah, I just think that's important. And then also in this chapter, which I didn't mention on my guide, uh, is we learn more about the Demetis. We learn about where the Illyrians are stationed. We learn about shadow singers. We learn about misting. We learn a little bit more about mating bonds. We learn that, again, with the Illyrians, I'd been learning to wield my powers, but Illyrian magic is a mere fraction of it. So Reese does have Illyrian magic, which bonkers, blows my mind. It's rare among them, usually possessed by the most powerful purebred warriors. I tried to use siphons during those years and shattered about a dozen before I realized it wasn't compatible. The stones couldn't hold it. My power flows and is honed in other ways. So just like the way that the Illyrians work is so similar to the way like the Asteri kind of like breed their archangels, which I think is really interesting, um, just on a nuanced level. They talk about how Reese smelled different, how Reese is different than everybody else. I think Reese is going to be one of those important things. We learn that um, the boys were basically destined to find each other and were like cauldron made. Even so, the other males knew that we were different and not because we were two bastards and a half breed. We were stronger, faster, like the cauldron knew we'd been set apart and wanted us to find each other. And Reese's mom saw it. They end up going on to say that Reese's power is growing every day and that Cassian and Azrael are not quite level to level with Reese, but fairly close and that there is um, starlight in Reese's eyes. So that's going to be important. So yeah, this chapter, it's one of like, it's like chapter 73 of House of Sky and Breath and then like chapter 16 of um, Akamath and then, oh my, I can't remember this chapter like I don't remember exactly what chapter it is in Koa, but, like, the chapter with Dorian and the spider, which you guys know I bring it up every freaking time I can, um, I think it's just, like, those are, like, the three, like, really important chapters to me personally, and I, I don't know why, but I just, like, cling to them. I feel like they just have, like, the most packed into them. And then the next piece that I want you guys to turn to is the very last page of, um, or last conversation in chapter 17 of Akamath, and that's when... Reese is talking about the prison and how it was made before the High Lords existed, before Perithian was Perithian. And some of the inmates remember those days, remember when it was Moore's family, not mine, that ruled the North. So this is bef- like this is when the Dust Court was around. This is when the Daglin were around. This was, you know, all this time with Finan. And I just think having that, right, Moore's family, before Perithian was Perithian the inmates were there, blah, 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 blah. And then quickly jumping right into chapter 18. And basically all of chapter 18, I think is important. And that's because we get a description of what the prison island looks like, you know, mossy, it's huge, it's huge, it's huge. Like people, like a city could have lived on it, essentially, is what they kind of tell us. Um, We learn that it's, there's streams and bumps and hollows and grassy slopes. Um, we get more information on the difference between the Court of Nightmares and the Court of Dreams, Valaris and Human City, which seem to be, like, two sides of the same coin, which is, like, very similar to, like, Starborn and and the Night Powers, like, two sides of the same coin. Um, we get a deeper look into Amryn and that she's something else. Um, it's the chapter where we get the, 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 very iconic drop of the eighth court, the missing eighth court, which still blows my mind every time I read it, every time I look at it, I still just go, Sarah J. Mass, like you are a genius. Um, and then he goes on to talk about after the eighth court, he starts talking about how she went into the prison before 
the Perithian was split into courts, which is um, the Age of Legends that we will talk about uh, in a second. Um, and how she came through rips in the fabric of the realms that in the chaos of the forming creatures from other worlds could walk through one of those rips and enter another world, but those rips closed at will and the creatures would become trapped with no way home. Both that monsters had walked between worlds and the terror of being trapped in another realm. So we get this, like, we get the drop of other worlds, realms. I just kind of had a thought as I was reading this, like, they closed at will we never learn how the Assyri were were traveling through the realms and taking over planets, but he he one of the notes in the Dusk Truth rooms say that like their food, the people, didn't take well to their method of traveling. I wonder, and this is totally wild. This is just like a thought I literally just had. Could the Assyri have been the ones opening and closing these rifts? And like when they when they opened it going from A to B, it would o- also open in other worlds, and then people were like, oh, look, another world, and they would, like, walk through, and then the Assyria were done walking through, and then they would close the rifts. Like, does that, like, that sounds kind of wild, but it kind of makes sense in a weird way. Maybe. I don't know. And then, in chapter 18, we get to meet my man, the Bone Carver, and he is... I think he's important just for so many reasons, but because he is a creature of another world, he's considered a god, um, the man knows everything, he's listening to that whispering wind if he is not the whispering wind. He starts asking her about when she had died, and she's kind of talking about, she talks about the sparkling wine again, she talks about this place of peace and darkness, um, which we learn that the void is where everybody returns to in, um, in the dead realm with the underking. We get to learn about the history of the cauldron and the history of Perithian. Long ago, before the High Fae, before the man, there was a cauldron, and they say all the magic was contained inside of it, that the world was born in it and fell into the wrong hands, and great and terrible things were done to it. Things were forged with it, such wicked things that the cauldron was eventually stolen back at great cost, but could not be destroyed, for it made all things. And if it were broken, then life would cease to be. So it was hidden and forgotten, and only with the cauldron could something that is dead be reforged like that. So into the wrong hands, great and terrible things were done with it. Things were forged with it. So the dread trove, most possibly, and we get Rigelus talking about how his kind had forged weapons that the Fae had stole from them. Could that have been the dead trove that he's talking about? Three mountains, there seems to only, you know, we don't have proof that the horn is the fourth item in the trove or that there is a fourth item in the trove, but there are three sacred mountains and then three trove items could there have been three Daglin on Perithian that were ruling and they were the ones who forged it? We also learned that the cauldron, when the cauldron was made, its dark maker used the last of the molten ore to forge a book, the Book of Breathings. And in it, written between the carved words, are spells to negate the cauldron's power to control it wholly. And then he says that no creature born of this earth can wield it. So he's talking about the Book of Breathings, and we're going to talk about the Book of Breathings in a second. But, so we learned about this, like, dark maker and the cauldron being forged. So, like, all of this important background world-building information. And then I want you guys to turn to chapter 29. And this is when Reese is talking about the history of the Night Court and... Valaris, and he just kind of talks about like an ancient high lord. Um, Reese's power seems to be doing weird stuff here. Um, he talks about how he laid a spell by him and his heirs, and rumor has it that the ancient high lord casts his very life's blood upon the stones and the rivers to keep that spell eternal. Um, and that there are many, many secrets that they've kept from other high lords and others' courts these millennia. So there's more. There's probably more stuff um, going on in Valaris, and I think specifically the House of Wind, which this is um, another bonus thing I'd like for you guys to just like remember again. Just keep remembering that the House of Wind is red stone. It's magic. It's sentient. And in this 
red stoned mountain. There's a library with seven levels specifically, and on the seventh level, it's all darkness. So redstone, very similar to blood salt, um, all that stuff. Just keep that in mind. Just one of those things to just like keep remembering. Um, I just saw something that made me like I re I, I you know I just finished my Akamath reread and I just remembered I like freaked out a little bit at Pharaoh because she was like she hallucinated and like saw Valaris and Reese is like I didn't send those images to you and then she's just like I don't care thanks and I'm like girl what maybe you, you saw something you should have never seen what okay let's just like not question it I think that you should definitely reread re the entirety of chapter 37. This is when Feyre and Amran are in the summer court getting the Book of Breathings, and this is when they're getting trapped, and we get her fist, a radiant forge, as she slammed into the lead once, twice, swirls and whirls radiating out through as if they were a language all of her own, so like possible word marks here, and then... We get a description of the Book of Breathings, and then we get more history on the Holy Tongue and how Amran knew the language. Because Reese says, I heard legend that it was written in a tongue of mighty beings who feared the cauldron's power and made the book to combat it. Mighty beings who were here and then vanished. You were the only one who can encode it. Which does, like, directly go against what the bone carver said and how that or maybe someone snuck in after the cauldron was made and they made um the book of breathings with the same material as the cauldron which is what the bone carver had just said um and they could have been the daglin but mighty beings who we were here and then vanished um and then he says and send you home if they were the ones who wrote it in the first place so we just get like more information on this like ancient history these mighty beings maybe word marks, all that great stuff that's all important. I think a bonus thing to keep in mind is that Reese's throne in the Night Court are those beasts, and Feyre calls it, like, the Gates of Eternity. Just keep that in mind. I didn't put that in the reading guide, but just remember that. his And that's his High Lord form. And then I think you guys should read the entirety of Starfall, not because it's just like such an iconic scene, but because we learn that they're not actually soul or they're not actually stars, they are souls, that Amran is freaked out by them, um, that you can only see them in the night court, all that delicious stuff. Um, the first episode of this podcast was about my theory on Starfall, and I still hold true. Still hold true. And the very last chapter I think you should just skim read again, not just for funsies, um, is chapter 55. And specifically when Bright uh, Bryce when Feyre glows for Reese and she actually has some really interesting wording here. To find my skin glowing faintly as if some inner light shone beneath my skin leaking out into the world, warm and white light like the sun, like a star. Those wonder-filled eyes met mine. Reese ran a finger down my arm. Well, at least I can now gloat. I literally make my mate glow with happiness. The glow flared brighter. And then she asked, shining. I was shining bright as pure as a star. Decor, I asked. I don't care. Of course he doesn't. And then she glows, and he releases the damper on him, and they kind of, like, are their most core selves. And then she says, I would glow for him. I'd glow for my own future. I'd glow. So I sat up, hands braced on his broad chest, and unleashed that light in me, letting it drive out the darkness that had been done to him, my mate, my friend. And then he says, the stars wheeled around them, both from his power and from hers. And then she says, I think the light pouring out of me might have been starlight, or maybe my own vision fractured. <laughs> Why, does Sarah do this? Why do I not read in the entire sentences before I start reading it aloud to you guys? Um, and then also in this chapter, just like, so she's glowing just like Bryce. She's glowing like Bryce does for Hunt. She's glowing like she does sort of for like Cormac. So all of that, very important. Why is Feyre glowing in the same way that Bryce does? Um, 
And then they do end up talking about mates and harking back to the beast we once were, probably something about ensuring a female was pregnant, blah, 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 um, which I just think is really important information just in, you know, when it comes to, like, Lydia and Rune and, and looking for mates in the SJM universe, that can be really helpful, especially with, like, maybe Ethan and the Fender Ear or maybe... Um, Flynn and Ariadne, the dragon, could they be mates? They got something going on. And that's it pertaining to the SJM universe. I feel like some people would try to argue that maybe the scene where, like, Elaine and Nesta are thrown into the cauldron, but I don't think it really pertains necessarily to the SJM universe. There's not enough information on it. Like, yeah, the cauldron is weird and it does weird things, but you should know that by now. Um, and we're going to look into the POV that Nesta has when she is in the cauldron, so that's kind of why I skipped it in Akamath. All right, on to Akawar. The first two chapters you should skim read would be 22 through 23. This is when they are back into the back with the prison, back with the BC. And this time she's with Cassian going um, up the prison. And he says, there was life here, he said, answering my question at last. Before the high lords took Perithian, old gods, we called them. They ruled the forest and the rivers and the mountains. Some were those things. Then magic shifted to the high they, who brought the cauldron and the mother along with them. Though the old gods were still worshipped by a select few. Most people forget them now. Sorry if you can hear my page turning. Um, and then they start talking and questioning about Amran and what Amran did to get out of the prison and what she is. And then they go on to talk about the eternal blackness, the black rock, um, blah, 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 blah. And then we see the BC, the bone carver, once again. In 23, they go into a full detailed account about the bone carver, Striga, and Kashi, Koshi. And he draws those, the three overlapping interlocked circles in the dirt, which could either be like the Eye of Elena or the Archesian um, amulets, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I think that, I, th I think all of this is incredibly important, but very specifically, he talks about a clever fae warrior. Her bloodline is long gone now, though traces of it still run through some human line. No one remembers her name, but I do. She would have been my salvation. Um, and she talks about how they are death gods, and yet she was able to imprison them. So I think she might could be important. She could be the missing daughter, for all we know. Um... He ends up talking about the Ouroboros um, and how it was old even when they were young, a window into the world. Could this be a witch mirror? Could this be used? Could they use it to commune with someone on another world? Could, you know, there's endless possibilities with the Ouroboros and we're going to talk about it um, later in the in the book. So definitely chapter 22 and chapter 23, basically any scene with the bone carver and in the prison, you should definitely skim read because the man just loves to drop information. <laughs> I think you should reread um, chapter 27 and this is when um, Amran goes on and talks about who, who kind of what she is and who she is um, and how, what she had to give up to get out of the prison. She goes on to talk about how she was a messenger, a soldier assassin, assassin for a wrathful god who ruled a young world, and that Amran was not her real name, and that she, she does not remember the name she was given, and she picked Amran for a very specific reason. So yeah, Amran's story, very important, very, like, we need to know more, I think we're gonna get to know more, blah 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 blah. I then think you guys should read, and this kind of might be like the whole thing and I'm gonna be like yeah the whole thing the whole damn thing I think you guys should read all of chapters 41 through 46 so basically up until 47 and this is essentially um I picked 41 because that's when Feyre goes um to Hewen City and they see like the trove in the night court so all of that um we get like this tri night triumphant and stars eternal blah 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 that's important because reese is important in general um and then just all of the high lords meeting because we just get packed with information about the high lords the courts um what people look like powers etc etc and i think specifically because um we get to learn about the seraphim and the peregrines um and how they are distantly related um, you know, Dawn Court healing, all about, just, just everything about all of them, I think is important. And then specifically, 
we learn more about that power that Feyre glows and Helion. And then, where is it? Oh, we also see that, like, Amryn might have taken her form after, like, um, uh, I know how to pronounce it. The the Shin, Shion? Um, the Dawn Court, um, there's, like, two sides to the Dawn Court, and there are some that come from, like, I think another continent, and she, uh, Amryn, Feyre notes that Amryn looks like the Dawn Court people. Like, she picked her body to look like the Dawn Court people for maybe a reason, and then in 46, oh, we get Azriel and him and his magic just like working outside of what is normal and how he can do things that maybe he shouldn't be able to do. And also in this chunk of time, we get this line, this, oh, this line haunts me in my sleep, except for the one at my side. Reese was different from them as human were to Fae, and I forgot sometimes how deep that well of power went, what manner of power Reese bore. But as Reese stripped away Tamlin's ability to speak, they remembered. So she says that like Reese is like just like not even not even the same as them. Like not even he's like a whole other level. Then there are two chapters after that you guys should quickly go through, which is the the chapter about the Ouroboros. Um, and I forgot to had mentioned that, just a reminder, that Kier knows someone named Lord Thanatos, and that's dropped in Akawar. Um, so anyways, the Ouroboros, and what it looks like, and what it does. And then also chapter 69 with Truth Teller, and a little bit more information on Truth Teller, which we know Truth Teller is part of the... Tr- Gwydion's set. So that's important. In chapter 71, we get the seraphim and what they look like and mentions of that item on Crete or and, and Crete in general. We get in chapter 74, the High Lord's Beasts form and how Reese and Helion specifically are mirrors to each other. And Helion's beast form is actually very interesting to me, along with Reese. Reese's beast form is the, the hounds, the not hounds, hounds from the wild hunt. So just a quick look at what he looks like in his beast form is important. We get in chapter 75, Amran's true form. In chapter 76, we have the void um, being made from the cauldron. We get the last sighting of the Book of Breathings. We get Feyre and Reese's power and how they are like Feyre even likens her own self and her own power to creation and to the mother. And then in 77, we get another glimpse of those kernels of power that we talked about with Feyre and when she was gifted life. So again, just looking at how that works because Feyre learns how to do it herself in that chapter. And that's it for Akawar. Akawar is very Akatar plot centric. There wasn't a lot of like, there isn't a lot of like outside influences, which I think, um is fine because it was needed for that book because not everything can just be about, you know, the crossover and about Crescent City. So there isn't a ton on Akwar, but that's what I think is the most important in it for you to go back through and skim read. If y'all haven't read Akafas, I'm shaming you. I'm, I know people who are close to me. They're not like furious. They're not like book people, but like I've have forced people to read these book series or people have read them because of how excited I am about them. And they're like, oh yeah, I skipped Akafas. And I'm like, why? <laughs> there's, I love this book because there's just so much packed in here, like so much foreshadowing. All those POVs we get and the POVs we don't get. Suspicious. Looking at you, Elaine. Um, but there is um, a few chapters I think you should skim read in a Court of Frost and Starlight, and I'll tell you why. Number one would be chapter three, and that is when Cassian is flying around Ramil, and he talks about the blood rite, he talks about what the mountain looks like, he talks about the monolith, he talks about the creatures that emerge from the mountain. Um, he talks about how Ramil, the sacred mountain, not the heart of only Illyria, but the entirety of the night court, and how it feels alive and watchful. He talks about the three stars and he talks about how the Illyrians had migrated from the Meridians to the, to Ramil, 
before humans had even walked the earth wild. Um, he talks about what it feels like when he had touched the onyx monolith and how he felt that presence zing through him before he was transported back to the camp. So that's important. I think you guys should read all of chapter 15. Most of, I guess most of it, all of it. Um, and that's because we get that tapestry of hope and void. You know, threads of fate, all that great stuff. And the iridescent thread that shimmered like starlight. The void, that color that absorbs, fab, uh, absorbs light. Um, and how she tries to make void the day after she learns her husband had died. Which is very interesting because the void is where people go to return when they, you know, when they die, essentially. And then we get the silver thread, the starlight thread, which is called Hope. Capital H Hope. So, very important. Reread it. I think it, you know, could mean something, could tie back to something. And then the last one you should skim back through is the very ending of chapter 24. And that's when Moore feels that shadowy presence watching her. Because that was suspicious and it never gets touched on. All right. On to the chunky boy. On to a court of silver flames. There, this one has the most on it. This one has the biggest list. Um, <sighs> there's so much in this book. This book was really set up specifically for House of Flame and, or House, yeah, House of Flame and Shadow, House of Sky and Breath, essentially. Um, if there is, like, if you can only reread, like, a certain book, like, a few books before House of Flame and Shadow, I, like, just throw on the audiobook at, like, 2x speed and just blast through um, Akasif, Koa, and Hosab, like, then you'll probably be fine. Um, so the first thing that you should reread, if you aren't going to do that, is the prologue of Akasif, where we get the capital D darkness, we get the, you know, creation, we get all of that stuff that, you know, Nesta's power, all of it is really important. Then move on to chapter three, where we get Reese's orrery, and that's because uh, Reese is mapping out the stars, Reese is looking for patterns in the universe, that's definitely going to be important. In chapter 7, we get the history of Perithian, about what happened with, like, the first High Lord, the reason why courts became a thing, all that stuff could be important. And then, move on to chapter 13. This is when Nesta and Gwen talk about the 26 realms. They're talking about other worlds. They're talking about stuff that binds the realms. They're talking about the fact that Meryl is, you know, incredibly intelligent on this, all of that stuff is important. We learn that time itself could be one of them. All of this, like, all of that is so, so important. Then in chapter 15, jump into the, that's when um, we get more information on the library, number seven levels. Um, there's something on the bottom of those levels, books, maybe. We don't know why Bryaxis was even there in the first place and why Bryaxis hasn't returned when it was its home and it wanted to stay. Suspicious. Um, we learned that someone was trying to lure Nesta, trying to call her, and that it was like a cat-like presence. And then we learn a little bit more on the mother's power and the invoking stones that are basically like siphons that the priestesses wear. In chapter 16, we get um, all of that information about Ramil and the blood rite and the sacred stone at the top of the mountain. This is also when, when we learn the names of the holy stars and that they line up during the window of the blood rite so they're lining up basically at the same spot where the monolith that whisks you away transports you um is so it's just like suspicious all around this is also more explanation on the blood rite and all that good stuff Then reread chapter 20. This is another instance of Perithian history, history of the Trove, description of the Trove, all of that stuff. And then chapter 31, when Nesta scries and is maybe possibly possessed, we get information on the middle and how it is um, a sacred place and how, like, Reese stops Amran as she's about to say something that could be important to the history of the Ord and the middle. And then I would reread all all of the time they're in the Ord, chapter 30 
32 to 36 and that's because I think the order is important and that's when we see like the other types of fae there. We get to see someone speaking the old language. We know that the ord has all this mist, that there's no insects, that there's like this presence there. The mother was there. All of that stuff. Very important. Then move on to chapter 41 with the Pegasuses, the prison, Helion, Helion's ancestors, all of that stuff. We learn that Helion's been going through something at home and he's kind of, he's not talking about it. Um, why does Helion have the Pegasuses that originally came from the Death Court? I don't know. I don't know. Then in 42, we get the information on Gwydion, on the great powers. We get more information on the history of Perithian. We get the name drop of Narbin, which is MIA at the moment. And we get information on the High King. This is a bonus. In chapter 43, Nesta again feels that presence, something trying to lure her, something in the library when her and Cassian are kind of having a small moment. And then I would reread 53 through 54, and that's the entire time. Well, basically 53 through chapter 56. <laughs> um, basically. And that's because in chapter 53 through 54, that's when they go back to the prison. We get another eighth court mentioning. We get, um, we learn that there's more to the prison and that the room mimics, the room that the harp is in is identical to the room in the House of Wind where she first, um, had the vision of the harp. So it's like this, like, priestess temple room, except the one in the temple room is redstone and the one in the prison is not, um... Nesta sees a vision of the past. This is when I think the harp was last used. This is when I think that the they were trapped on Midgard with the Asteri. Um, we get glimpses of the wild hunt here. Um, we get Lanthes and all of his black blood. Um, we learn that there's something that needs that magic is tethered and needs to be untethered, maybe. Something happened with magic. In chapter 55, we get the history of Perithian, the history of the Daglin, the Wild Hunt, the High King, Finan, the Queen, how they stole um, objects from Finan or Finn. We get Reese's um, ties into how Reese ties all to into it with like how his High Lord form is the same as one of the beasts of the Wild Hunt. We get mentions of the horn. And then in chapter 56 is when Nesta has this moment with the house and the house brings her to the seventh level and she kind of just sits with the house and she calls it like the dark heart, which is um, the dark heart in the eye of Elena is something like all of that. Ugh. Ugh. I can't wait to reread Akasif just for all of these moments again. In chapter 58, we get a mating bond snapping into place, um, which could be important if you're the one of those people who would like to look for um, mates foreshadowing and to understand what mates are and see it in other couples. In chapter 62, we get Aelin's Fall and the, you know, the Red Star. We get the Three Sacred Mountains. And then we get, in chapter 68, more history of Perithian. Around this time is when... Um, Eris is kind of prodding them to think about what's under Ramil. Um, Eris is being kind of weird. He's talking about the prison. He's talking about those sacred mountains. Something to note, the Autumn Court is suspicious. They're, like, gearing for a war, but they don't want land. Eris is like, there's more reasons to go to war. Ha ha ha. You guys should really kill my dad. <laughs> what does Eris know? Um... I like I the like I said the Autumn Court is going to be really important like because there are ties Sarah said that we're going to learn the ties between the Autumn King and um, the Autumn Court so there's all of that and then we have in chapter sixty nine when Nesta is doing the blood rite and she's in the past of Analias I would just reread that whole bit basically because we get more history there um, we learn that like when she falls back down. She hits the gate, the archway, and she feels as though somebody is in that archway and had stopped her and she could feel breath. Sus. So suspicious. Who is there? Who stopped her from, like, basically dying on that mountain? Was it Balthazar? Like, I didn't add it on the list, but, like, could it have been him? 
In chapter 74, Nesta unmakes and um, she uses that power and her power erupts and they say it probably it was felt throughout all of Perithian. Could it have been felt other places? Is that important? And then in chapter six, 76 is when she uses the harp. We get a conversation with the mother. We get her um, saving Pharaoh, Nyx, and Reese and all of that. We get the bar- bargain with the cauldron. And then in 78, we get Nyx's, Nyx glowing like Starlight, glowing like Feyre glows, like Bryce glows. That's going to be something. And then I would add in the face and bonus chapter if you have not read it yet. Um, you can find it online. But there are mentions of um, Feyre glowing like Bryce again. And then also mentions of the old goddess around the time of the Trove, which was Nyx. And that's why they named Nyx Nyx. Um just a little bonus information that Reese does know Old Fae, so that's something that we learn in Akasith, um, and that Amran forgets who last used the trove, which I think also could be some important information. So yeah, that is everything in Akasith. Those are all the chapters, just like really condensed, really thrown down. Oh, Akasith is one of those books that just like, there's so much, there's so much into it. Um, but like that, those are like the key highlighted points that I think are like incredibly important to like just skim read, go back through, um, and just make a few notes if you can to like remind yourself of these things. Whew. I feel like my brain just ran a marathon. <laughs> like, whew. there's like, but the thing is, is like doing these is like, I'm like, okay, just skim, just bear, barest information, just like you know, just to set them up for, you know, um, you know, just the basics, you know, whatever. And I'm like sitting here like, yeah, but Reese's power is like so much like void and like Feyre and like all this, there's like so many tiny little nuancey stuff that like, I just want to like, you know, I do it every time, but like, that's why I created this podcast so we could go deeper and like doing an episode where I'm like, hold back, hold back the reins. You got this little, like you don't go too deep. Like, Oh, it's so hard. And I think that next week is going to be even harder when we do Throne of Glass and, like, the entirety of the Throne of Glass series. Like, oh my goodness, how am I not just going to, like, continue to ramble and ramble and ramble and ramble? It might even need to be broken up into two parts. I don't even know. (gasps) I also, like, I took a break from, like, actually recording from, like, the holidays and I, you know, just did a few, I did a um, a podcast episode, the last one with the hive mind, which was just, like, a phone call with my friends. So there wasn't anything like that. And then... I just, like, I haven't even recorded in a, it feels like a long time for me because I had, you know, episodes banked up from the holidays that I, you know, pre-recorded and stuff, but I just, like, almost forgot how to do all this. (laughs) Have I told you guys that I don't feel ready for House of Flame and Shadow? Have I told you guys that? It doesn't feel real. It's crazy. It's crazy that all of this is, like, going to come together and... I know that we're going to get answers on some things. I know we're not going to get answers on other things. And I know we're going to get more questions to ask afterwards. And it's like me trying to decide and trying to like figure out which information will be answered and, and could be answered. And, you know, all that stuff is like really hard because I don't want to set you guys up for failure. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to be wrong, but I also like, I can't predict this stuff and that scares me, but I'm trying to do my best to get everyone as prepared as we possibly can. But remember to just have fun with the book and have fun with, you know, the prep for it and to not get too stressed. If you don't have time to reread, it's okay. It's normal. We all have lives. That's, oh, I know someone, Rosie, A Court of Thrones and Rosie, who is on this podcast, she's doing, like, she's basically reading one SJM book a day throughout the entire, Jan- like, month of January. She's not tabbing or anything, just reading on Kindle. And it's, like, 15 books. Each book is, like, over 200 pages. That's insanity to me. And so if you're feeling stressed out and you haven't done, you know, haven't been able to do a reread, like, it's so okay. Do not feel like you're, um, less than anybody. Don't think anybody is, you know, doing better than you in parentheses. Like, it's so normal and it's so okay. And just remember, we're having fun in the fandom and everything is going to be fine. So that's what I have to say on that. Oh, I feel like I need to lie down. There's just so much, so much, so much. Okay. That is the end of today's episode. I will be back in, I think, on 
Friday, we have a bonus episode of your guys' theories. If um, if you follow me on Instagram, you guys remember I had asked, like, send me your theories. We're going to talk about them on the podcast in a bonus episode. That's coming up. Next week, we're going to be doing the Throne of Glass recap, and then we'll have another bonus episode of, you know, some of my, you know, final theories and thoughts on Hope Pass. And then the week after that, we're going to do the Crescent City recap. I'm just, it's, it's happening. It's all happening. It's crazy to me. So thank you guys so much for listening. Good luck on your rereads. Good luck on your prepping. I will see you guys very, very soon. Thank you. I hope this helped in some way. <laughs> I really hope this helps in some way. I hope I, I'm not leading you guys astray. I really hope not. I hope Sarah takes, you know, spent, spares me mercy. Spares me mercy. Like, I know I can't be right about everything. and I know I can't have everything be right. But like, I just, like, I don't want to have wasted all of our times. That terrifies me. That absolutely terrifies me. I'm ending us on such a bad note. Oh my goodness. What is wrong with me? Go go eat a chocolate bar, Lillian. Go eat, like, stop being so emo. All right. Thank you guys. Have a lovely um, few days. I'll see you again very, very soon. Um, if you want more of me, I know by the time that this podcast episode comes out, I did a fun episode on another podcast. Can I talk about other podcasts on my podcast? Is that not is that a faux pas? I don't know. Um, called Book Talk for Book Talk. Um, and we just talked about, you know, just Crescent City chaos. So if you want more of me, which you're going to get a lot of me this month, um, <laughs> go ahead and check out that. Uh, I was able to talk with Jack and Amy and Rosie, who was on last week. Um, so, yeah. If you want more, there's more. <laughs> okay. Seriously now, goodbye.